Okay, we are on three lines, four lines down from the top. Simar begins a, a really new discussion, unrelated, uh, seemingly to what we just learned yesterday. The Gemara says, Nisa. Why was it that the, the literally the first ones, they had a lot of Nisim happening and a lot of miracles happening. The first ones means the previous generations. How come previous generations had a lot of miracles? But for us, we don't find we don't find God performing too many miracles for us. So this is where Papa is telling Abai he's feeling the uh, the Yeridah Sadoras here. He feels that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is providing less for them than he had done from the previous generations. He says, why? What what, what could the variable be? Maybe you could say that it's about how much Torah learning takes place, how much people know, how much people know the Torah, but. It's not true. He says, During Rav Yehuda, who was before them, Rav Yehuda was like the previous generation, all of their focus when they were in, in the Torah was in the Seder Nezikin. It's very interesting that the Gemara says that they only focused on Seder Nezikin. The truth is that the Gemara Baba Kama says that Rav Yehuda, he says that anyone who wants to be a chassid should study the, the laws of Nezikin. So the Marshal says that. Like it makes sense almost that uh, they were pounding Nezikin. Like they had a lot of emphasis on it. But it sounds like they weren't well versed in all of Shas. They, they, they emphasized Nezikin. But for us in our day and age, says Rav Papa, we know not only that. We know all the, all the Shas. Let's say, you know, let's compare a very obscure, very difficult Masech. Masech is Uksin. You know, that's the end of the Shas. That's in Sezer Taharas. So it says over there, the Gemara just gives like one example of a Mishnah. We don't have to understand the great detail of the law, but it just gives an example of a Mishnah. So you have a halacha where a woman is cooking a vegetable or some, some olives, and they're doing coke together with their stems, or the olives together with their, also with like their leaves together. And the question is as follows. The halacha is that really only the food, the fruit is makabal tumah. But the, the stems or the roots or the leaves, those really aren't part of the edible part. So technically, they're not part of the Tumah. But it's a very difficult halach in the laws of Tumah that something can be a yad for Tumah. It can be an extension for Tumah. Meaning, if that's the way you pick up a food, the food is normally picked up through a stem, through a root, through a leaf. And if you touch the leaf, that now brings Tumah to the, to the fruit. There's such a halach of yad. But the mission there is teaching that if you cook them all together and now the, the root or the, or, or the stem gets loosened and it's going to become so soft that it's no longer going to be a good yad. It's not going to be a good way to pick up the vegetable. So at that point, they stop functioning as a yad. So like some sort, you know, very difficult, obscure halacha that was being taught. And Rabbi Yehuda learned that. You know what he said? He like made a comment that made it seem that it's so, he's trying to say it's so difficult for him to learn the Mishnah. He says, like, this is like all my questions that I had by Rav and Shmuel. This is all coming out now. Like, he's basically trying to say, I'm as confused as I am at the time when I had all my questions in Rav and Shmuel when I'm learning this Mishnah. So the point that Rav Yudah was expressing is, this is difficult. Rav Yudah learned that Mishnah. You know, it's okay, so that was the previous generation. They only focused on Ezekiel. They learned one Mishnah on Uxen, too difficult for them. Vanan, but us, Kimastizen, Uxen, Tlaser, Mesifta. We literally have 13 different yeshivas who have a scheduled Seder in Uxen. So obviously, it seems that Torah scholarship have anything increased, not decreased. Whereas the previous generation were struggling to understand the simple Mishnahis in Uxen, were thriving in learning Uxen. We got 13 yeshivas learning Uxen. And yet, so the contrast seems to be that we're higher in Torah learning. Ve'ilu, Rav Yehuda, Kiyavashal of Chad Masani, Mitra, Rav Yehuda, the difficulty always was, was it going to rain? So Rav Yehuda, when it wasn't raining, if he would simply take off one of his shoes, it, was, it would rain. 
does it mean he take off a shoe would rain? So it's from based upon the Gemara and Tainus. The Gemara and Tainus tells us that that would be often time when they would pray, it would almost be like a fast day. Right? So the Pshat and the Gemara is, one of the dinam of the fast day is, when they were praying for rain, is that they wouldn't wear their shoes. So even the point of the Gemara is saying is that as soon as they would even start the fast day, all they would do is take off one shoe, and the schus of one shoe, already that Akhandash Baruch gave an answer and it started raining. So yet, oh, we try to drive ourselves crazy, we put ourselves in sar, we cry out, we demand from Akhandash Baruch there should be rain, for less than mashkach. Right? Nobody cares about us. It seems that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not performing us Nisim. So that's the question. If anything, we have greater Torah scholarship and we still have less Nisim. So he said to him, so Abai gave her Papa an answer. Amalei, let me tell you what it is. Kamoi, the previous generations, have a Hashem. They would literally, means give up their lives, but obviously it doesn't mean here in a literal sense because the things that we're going to see are not examples that you should give up your life for. But it means that they would, they would go beyond the letter of the law. They were moister nefesh in the less, in the, you know, in the looser sense to sanctify Hashem's name. But that's where we have gone down. We no longer will sacrifice that much in order to be moister nefesh to glorify God's name. What's an example of a lot of mysterious nefesh to glorify God's name? once saw a Kusis woman, non, a non-Jewish woman, and she was wearing a Karvala. So a Karvala is a big discussion exactly what, what exactly it is, but it seems that the overwhelming consensus amongst the Mepharshim is that it was some sort of very showy baguette, very, like, you know, almost like uh, very ostentatious. It was, it, was, it, was, it was meant to attach a lot, of, uh, to grab a lot of attention, and it wouldn't be a type of garment that would be befitting for a Jewish girl to wear publicly. And, and when Rav Adabrava saw this Kusis who was wearing this garment, he was under the impression that it was a Jewish girl. So a rabbi is an interesting thing. You know, these are really times of change. And a rabbi, the Gemara Moe Cotton, has his own jurisdiction to go over and do extreme things, even publicly, to embarrass people, to make a statement about halachic truths. Now, we don't really work with that so much today. But that was a, a principle that existed back then. So Rav Adabrava saw this. He thought it was a Jewish girl. So come, karimine. He went and he rips it from her. And he rips it from her to humiliate her as a way of making a public statement that this is not what we do. But he only did that because it was Jewish. Had it been a non-Jewish girl, he would have looked the other way. He has no interest. So then it turns out that all he did was, you know, shame an innocent woman, a woman, because she was a kusis. She wasn't doing anything wrong. It wasn't befitting of a Jewish girl, but it's totally fine for her. So all he did was embarrass a non-Jewish woman. So you'd say by the letter of the law, sometimes we're more, you know, we're more lax when we steal from Gaim, when we humiliate Gaim. You know, it's not exactly like a, a Jew that's going to take us to our courts. But still, what happened? He paid her off 400 Zuz. So he went beyond the letter of the law. He went beyond the letter of the law to pay her an extreme amount of money to, uh, in, in, for, 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 for payment for embarrassing her. Amalei Ma Shamcha, he asked her, what is her name? Amalei Matun, he said her name is Matun. Amalei Matun, Matun, Abame Azuze Shavia. So he made like a play on words, because Matun in Aramaic is 200. So by pay, saying her name twice, he said, Matun, Matun, you cost me 200. 200 times two, times two, which is 400. You cost me 200, 400 Zuze. So the point of the story, what we're supposed to take away, is that Rav Adar was extremely careful for Kiddush Hashem. It seems like this was an example of Kiddush Hashem. To go back and pay the guy an extreme amount of money for humiliating her, that was giving, going beyond the letter of the law for Kiddush Hashem, and it was a reward for that kind of practice, that kind of behavior, the general, you know, that was felt amongst the, uh, that was the culture then back then, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu did Nisim. We, we may know a lot of Torah, Rapapa and Abai say, but we, we pay how far in comparison can those in this regard, and that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not doing so many Nisim for us. When it says we have 12 base members learning books, is that like insult us or compliment? Compliment. It's trying to say, look how much higher we are in Torah than them. 
Then Rav Yehuda himself, the great Talmud, Talmud Rav Yehuda, when he got to Oxen, he said he complained about how difficult it was. For us, we have 13 different programs and 13 different yeshivas learning it. It would be like a way of saying, like, back in Europe, there was a handful of people who learned Davyomi. Today, there's thousands of shuls learning Davyomi. Like that kind of perspective. So why do we get Nisan? That was the, that's his question. That's his kasha. That's Mamish what Rav Papa is saying. He says, I don't get it. Yeah. If, we, if anything, our generation is higher. So why are we not having as many Nisan? So Abai is saying to him, because it's not, the Nisim don't come from the Torah study. The Nisim come, Hashem is rewarding people for being Moser Nefesh HaKadosh Hashem. The previous generations were Moser Nefesh HaKadosh Hashem a lot more than our generation. And that's why we're not meriting the Schos um, to have the miracles. Okay? All right. Says the Gemara. Rav Gidol. Rav Gidol did a very interesting thing. He would go sit right by the mikvah. And the purpose of going sitting by the mikvah, he would instruct the women and all the laws. And as the women would come, especially there are many halachas of chafifa, how exactly they have to prepare for going to the mikvah. And he would, uh, he would instruct them. He would say, do this, do that. He would get very involved. So it seems like a very interesting thing to do because it's not so tzniyas. So, like, how are you not, you know, obviously a woman going to the mikvah is associated with, with, with relations. How are you not scared of the Yitzhar here? Just going and putting yourself in front of these women going to the mikvah. It doesn't seem like an appropriate thing to do. So, he was trying to say he was above it. He says, they appear to me as if they're, you know, they're white geese. The point of saying that the women appear to him like white geese, he's trying to say is that I'm not thinking in those terms and he seems to be above the Yitzhar. The Achronim are a little bit puzzled by that perspective. Usually Chazal say the opposite. A person should never think he's above any sort of temptation. But that was Rav Gidol's practice, a surprising Gemara. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Yochanan, he's not going to instruct the women, but he also sat by where the women would come out of the mikvah. When the women will come up and from their, from, from their tefillah, and they're going home, obviously, to return to relations to their husbands, they'll look at me. And remember, we learned this already on Hey, which we spoke about for the Gemara Mitzvah. Rabbi Yochanan's crazy, he had amazing beauty. He had a, a tremendous beauty left from the base of Mikdash. So they'll look at me. They'll have these beautiful children because of me. So this is already the, the Mepharshim explained this based on like we see that by Yaakov and Lavan. That there's a concept of what a person sees, what they look at, and then it's in their mind when relations come. That actually has a real impact upon what the Zara is. And the way it can, and evidently in Argamar about the woman, the woman's there as well. So if the woman would look at, the women would look at Rabbi Yochanan, see his beauty, and then return home and have relations, then their children would be more beautiful. So Rabbi Yochanan was doing this, so to speak, he was L'shem Shemayim, he was trying to make sure that the Jews um, have their beauty. Now obviously the Achronim explained, that what is this, Rabbi Yochanan was concerned, you know, for just for the aesthetics of Jewish kids. So they explained, very nice, very deep thing, that again, Rabbi Yochanan's beauty was representative of the, the, the remnants of the Beis HaMikdash. That's why in the, in the Gemara and Dafei with Rabbi Lozon and, and Rabbi Yochanan, they cried. He says he looked at Rabbi Yochanan's, Rabbi Yochanan's beauty and they burst out crying because Rabbi Yochanan's beauty reminded everybody of the better state that the Jews used to be and Rabbi Yochanan was the last beautiful Jew. So the idea is that the women looked at them and, and they saw beauty. What it means is that they recognized the beauty of Tzitkos. They recognized that what it means to be connected to Hashem and how it does so much much more, so much for you, not only on little levels, oh, you, you know a lot of Torah, but you're literally to the extent that Rabbi Yochanan had a much prettier, uh, much prettier appearance because he was so connected to Hashem. So if the women would see that, that means that their minds would be filled with thoughts of inspiration and go home, they would have beautiful children, meaning children who would be on that same level as Rabbi Yochanan, who would be able to keep that thing. It wasn't purely just about, you know, external senses of beauty. So Amalu, he said to him, 
Amr Rabbanan, the rabbi said to Rabbi Yochanan, Lokum Mistabi Mamma Aina Bisha, you're like, you're not concerned of Ayin Hara. So again, what is Ayin Hara? Ayin Hara seems to be that when people look at something good, then there's an evil eye that's cast upon it. It seems that it incurs jealousy. Like, oh, Rabbi Yochanan is putting himself out there. Like, oh, everyone's got to look at me before they have relations. Obviously, that's going to that's, that's gonna, that's gonna bring upon an Ayin Hara. So he says, Amalu, Anami Zara de Yosef Kasina. Yeah, it's not a problem because I'm from the descendants of Yosef at Sadik. So Lashoto Baina Bisha. Yosef's descendants don't have a problem of, of Ayin Harad. Ben Paras, Yosef, Ben Paras, Ale Ayin. So Ale Ayin, this is the Pasuk Pashas Vayachi. What does it mean, Ale Ayin? For Amar Abavalt, the great Ale Ayin, Ole Ayin. They're above the eye. What does it mean to be above the eye? It means that the eye does not affect them. The eye in Haran, no matter how many people are gazing at the Yosef and his descendants and giving them, you know, jealousy or whatnot, they're unaffected by it. So therefore, he says, I'm, un- I'm not concerned. Rabbi Yosef, what was Yaakov's um, blessing to the children of Yosef? Right? They should be like fish. The fish in the sea, because they swim in the sea, therefore they're not seen. And because they're not seen, there's no ayin hara. So the descendants of Yosef have that same power, to be like this fish. So the Pashup shot in being like fish is that they multiply like fish. They're able to reproduce greatly. But still, we're saying something else. It means that we have a hidden quality like the fish to be above ayin hara. Or a third impression of where we see that Yosef doesn't have ayin hara because Remember, what was Yosef's great sitkus? That even though Eishes Potiphar wanted to sleep with him and how difficult it was to overcome that, it was his eye that didn't want to literally to be sustained from what was not his. He didn't want to enjoy from something that didn't belong to him. He didn't want to sleep with her because it wasn't his wife. So therefore, midah kenegin midah, the eye that didn't want that, because we always associate uh, all our rise with the eye, so it's the power of the eye of Yosef that stopped it. So too, in ayin hara, shall let this post. So midah kenegin midah, commensurate to that, there's no problem for Yetzirah for the children of Yosef. Now the Akronim talk about whether it means literally he knew he was from a shevet of Yosef, or whether it means that in general, Klai Yisrael is above being from Shevet Yosef. And the, and the difference between them basically is, how much does a regular Jew have to worry about Yitz, uh, uh, have to worry about Ayin Hara? If the point is, he literally knew he was from a Shevet of, from Yosef, then a regular Jew does have to worry about it. It was particularly Rabbi Yochanan, who happened to have some sort of Mesorah, that he was from a child of Yosef. But any regular Jew who does have to worry about Ayin Hara. Or we find times in Sukkim, in, in Tehillim, some Achronim say, where all of Klai Yisrael collectively is referred to as the children of Yosef, so then that would seem to be a reference in general for all Jews. Okay. Now we get back to some halachas. Says the Mishnah. Women don't have to say Shema. What's the reason women don't say Shema? Because it's a mitzvah to say Shahazman Grama. Again, that's the big rule. A time bound mitzvah to say women don't have to do. So it's a time bound mitzvah. In specific times when, when you say Shema. So women don't have to do that. Slaves don't have to do it. Why? Because slaves, this means Canaanite slaves. The rule is that Canaanite slaves are only obligated in mitzvahs that women are obligated in. They don't, that's the parameters of the extent of their chiyav. And Kitana, children. Children are potter from Shema. What does it mean children are potter from Shema? So most Rishonim learn that it means children below the age of Chinuch. But Rashi learns a tremendous chiddush here. Rashi learns that even children who are 8, 9, 10 years old are potter from saying, from saying Shema. When the world is the pshat, why is there no din of chinuch? Says Rashi, because usually parents are not around their children at the time of saying Shema. The Shema is very, very strict times when it can be said. Parents are not usually around their children necessarily, and therefore Chazal did not impose a chiv of chinuch whatsoever to say Shema. That's the opinion of the way Rashi learns the Mishnah. Umin atfilin. They're potter from tefillin. What's the pshat? The same thing. There's no chinuch, let's say, for, for a child to wear tefillin because it's very difficult for them to have a kuf naki, to have a clean, a clean body for it. 
So therefore, they're not obligated at all. However, and the same thing, that's why women and slaves are part However, these people are obligated in davening. Davening, they have to. So there's a chinuch for davening for children who are, for children who are chinuch. And also as well, women and slaves have to daven. And we'll talk about this in this in Gemara. What's the type that women and slaves have to daven? Why is it not a mitzvah shazmarik rama? So we'll talk about this when we learn the Gemara. Uva mezuzah. They're obligated in mezuzah. Because clearly it's a mitzvah essay, she'ain hazman grama, has nothing to do with time, with berkas amazon, and we're eating. Same thing, right? Berkas amazon is not by time, anytime you eat. It's not, it's, not, it's not specific to any time in the clock. So the Gemara asks, Kriya Shema Pshita. Why did the Mishnah even have to teach us that women don't have to say Shema? It's clearly a time bound. That's the rule. Women are part of from So what is the, even the novelty? Why did the Mishnah even have to teach that to us? So the Gemara answers, You may have said that it's just too important. I mean, everybody's accepting the yoke of heaven and women don't. So you would have said it's just too important, too fundamental, probably is a better word, too fundamental. So women should also have to do it. The bottom line is, it's a misdemeanor, and therefore women are exempt. Women are exempt as well from tefillin. Says the Gemara Pshita, the same question, it's a misdemeanor. Says the Gemara, You may have thought, in the Pasuk, it says to fill in right next to mezuzah. It says, and then it says, so one would think that you make a connection, a heckish between to fill in and mezuzah. Just as women are chayv in mezuzah because it's a mitzvah to say, so I would say so to fill in, even though it's a mitzvah to say, Shazman grama, but maybe they're also obligated, that we do not make the heckish and they are in fact potter because it is time bound. Says the Gemara, they're chayv in tefillah. What's the pshat? So, there are many different girsos here. That's the problem. The Rishonim have many different girsos. But our Gemara, the way the text appears in front of us, says, because it's about you know, beseeching Hashem's mercy. Tefillah is about needing Hashem's mercy. And because of that, women need Hashem's mercy just as much as men. Meaning, Tefillah, the essence is that we need Hashem's help. So if the essence of Tefillah is needing Hashem's help, then why should women be any more exempt than men? I, to Mitzvah, as my grandma, it doesn't matter. It still has to be uh, that they do it because it's Rachmi. That would basically be the idea that the, Gemara, that the Gemara is saying. And then the text that our Gemara reads, you may have thought to say, David says that he prays, and that's what, you know, so you may have thought it's a Mitzvah, um, you know, that we don't say that. I lose a place. We don't say that. Now, there are many, let's talk about many different things here. So first of all, Rashi says that this whole text doesn't make any sense. The reason is, because tefillah is midirabonon. Rashi's opinion is that on a mitzvah dirabonon, women are obligated, even though it's mangrama. The whole principle of mitzvah sasei as mangrama, Rashi says, is mitzvah asay, a biblical mitzvah asay. If it's a dirabonon mitzvah, the rabbonon just obligate everybody. So Rashi says that this whole thought process that maybe Tefillah's mitzvah sasei as mangrama, and therefore women are potter, doesn't make any sense. Rashi therefore takes out the whole last part of the Gemara and just says that they're chayv and Tefillah. Why did the rabbi say they're chayv and Tefillah? Because it just made sense. It wasn't like, oh, this is an exception to the rule that mitzvah sasei as mangrama and Peturos. It's a mitzvah dirabonon. So if it's mitzvah dirabonon, the rabbi just say whatever they want. It's not like there's a regular rule that they have to follow. So they just said it made sense that women have to daven. Had Tefillah been a mitzvah sasei daoraisa, and it was man grama. Would there be a svar that women still have to daven because they need God's mercy? No, that's not what the Gemara is saying. 
According to Rashi, according to Rashi, if it had been a Daraisa, women in fact would have been potter. The reason women are chayv is because it's only the Rabbanon, the Rabbanon say whatever they want. There's no regular rules. What makes the Rabbanon think that women should do it? Because why not, right? Why wouldn't they need God's mercy? That's the way Rashi learns the Gemara. Taisus vehemently disagrees. Taisus holds that a mitzvah's the Rabbanon also, we apply the rule of Mitzvah Shesmar Kondosh and Peturos because the Rabbanons are modeled after Daraisas. So therefore, the Gemara is saying, even though Tefillah is the Rabbanon, that doesn't matter. But it's still Mitzvah Shazman Grama and Svar, they should have been Pater. And nonetheless, it's an anomaly to the rule of Mitzvah Shazman Grama because of the fact that there's a special Svar that pushes through that women need the divine mercy just as much as men. Okay, that's like Rashi and Tosos. However, the Ramam's famous opinion is that davening is a Mitzvah to Orisa. And the Ramam seems to say a very different reason than the Gemara says. The Ramam says, you want to know why women have to daven? Because it's a Mitzvah's essay. She'ein hazman grama. And it seems to be, if you think about it for a little bit, it actually makes a lot of sense. Because the Daraisa mitzvah of davening, not shachas mincha mayrev, the way we have it today. That's all drabbam, and that's for sure. But as a concept, the Ramam says that on a Daraisa level, a person has to beseech God's mercy once a day. That's the Ramam's opinion. So the Ramam learns that women have to daven because Daraisa, there's a chiyav that everybody has just to be connected to God, to talk to God. When during the day? Whenever. So therefore the Rambam has text in the Gemara was that it's actually a mitzvah sasei enas man grama. Not the way our Gemara seems to say that it's not and they just do it because of rachamim. Rambam had a different text. A mitzvah enas man grama. So in fact, what's the halacha? This should be tremendous nafkeminas. The women have to daven shachros min chalmeir. So the Mogan Avram paskins like the Rambam that they do not. They not the pshat they have to daven min chalshachros min chalmeir. They have the mitzvah sasei enas man grama to daven once in a while. What should they say? Whatever they want. Whatever is some Daraisa aspect of the Avenik to Hashem, they should ask Hashem for something during the day. The Gemara was never saying that they're Chayv and Shachar's Minchon Mayrev because they need to be seek Hashem's mercy. If you'd learn the Gemara like Rashi or Tosvos, maybe you'd get that impression. The Gemara is talking about the Chayv Tefillah Durabanan, and the Gemara is saying that the Rabbanan obligated them. According to the Ramadan, that's not what the Gemara is saying. The Gemara is not saying ever that the Rabbanan obligated them. The Gemara made the point that it's a mitzvah to say, She ain't as my grandma. And therefore, they have to say at least something once a day. So it's a very interesting machlokas. Halacha it seems, it's like one of those things like, matovu manoim, for a woman who could be machmer for these rishonim and daven the tefillos, matovu manoim, for them to be stringent if they could. If it's difficult for them, it's, they're in very good company to rely on just the Magan Avram, based upon the Ramam's opinion, to just daven one thing a day. But they definitely have to do at least that. That's a mishnah. They're chayiv in tefillah. Excellent question. So what's the big nafkamina if you go with Ramam and Rashi? If you go like Rashi, 100%. It's a din that they're chayv in the tefillahs. That's what the Mishnah is saying. They're chayv in the Durabon and tefillahs. According to the Rambam, absolutely not. <laughs> they wouldn't be chayv in those things. Those are Mitzvah and Grama. They're chayv and the Daraisa din of tefillah, which is Mitzvah Seisha'ina's Grama. Okay, says the Gemara. We have Mezuzah. Pshita, of course they're obligated in Mezuzah. It's Mitzvah Seisha'ina's Grama. Says the Gemara, Ma'alatema hoyo ve'iskish l'tama Torah. You would have said, yeah, but mezuzah is right there next to Talmud Torah, right? It says, in the second paragraph of Shema, and then it says to write mezuzah. So just as women don't have to, don't, are not obligated in the, in the obligation to teach their, their children Torah, it says, So I would say they don't have mezuzah either, that they still have mezuzah. And what's the reason why they do? You know what the Gemara Menachah says? Because the, the, the merit of mezuzah is protection and safety, right? So what, women don't need the safety? So that's the reason why the Gemara and Menachah actually says for sure that women need mezuzah. 
Says the Mar Birkas Amazrum, they're chive to bench. Says the Mar Pshit, of course they're obligated to bench. Benching is not a mitzvah stage, has my grandma, it's not time bound, whatever you eat. Says the Mar Mazda, when Hashem will give you the meat to eat in the evening and the bread to eat in the morning. So it becomes as if there's a set time to bench because you eat in the morning and at night. It's like very rigid. Come on, that's just, you know remembering the nisim that Hashem did in the, in, in, in the desert, that He gave us the meat at night and the bread during the morning. But ultimately, in the, in the way of life, and therefore women are obligated to bench. Says the Gemara, this is a famous Gemara. Women have to make Kiddush on Shabbos by Torah law. Amai. Why should women have to make Kiddush? Mitzvah Zesha is my grandma. It's a Mitzvah Zesha that comes from time because you only do it on Shabbos. Women are, are, are exempt. Now, where does the obligation to make Kiddush come from? The word Zachar Siyom HaShabbos Lekatra, to remember Shabbos. So that's a Mitzvah's essay. It's my grandma because you only do it on Shabbos. So women should be Pater. They should be exempt. So what's the pshat that women have to make kiddush? The Gemara is asking. You're right. We didn't mean that there are rabbis that they did. We just meant that the rabbis obligated them to say kiddush. Meaning that they're not on the same level of chiyav of men. Men have to do it midaray. So women have to do it midaray. Rabbi quickly rejects that. Hadvar Torah Amr. That's not what Rabbi Rabbi said. Rabbi Rabbi said women have to say kiddush Dvar Torah from the Torah. But oh, and furthermore, Komitz is saying, I don't get it. Why did the rab- if they're exempt, because it's really Mitzvah Shazar and Grandma, why did the rabbis obligate them? We don't find the rabbis obligating them in Tefillin, in Shema, and all these other examples that we said are Mitzvah Shazar and Grandma. Women are exempt. Does that mean, but Midrabbanan, they should still do it? No, nobody said that. So why would the Rabbanan get involved if really they're putter from Kiddush because Mitzvah Shazar and Grandma? Why would, the, why would the rabbis get involved and say, oh, they should still say Kiddush? They don't usually say Mitzvah Shazar and Grandma that women should do. So rather, we say a new interpretation. Ella Omar Rabbah. Rather, Rabbah says, again, we're coming to explain why women should say Kiddush if it's a Mitzvah Shazim and Grama. So Omar Kroh, Zohar V'Shamah. In the first Luchos, in Parshish Yisro, it says about Shabbos, remember Shabbos. In Parshish V'Eschanah, by the second Luchos, it says Shomar Shabbos. Zohar means the positive Mitzvah Shabbos, like making Kiddush. Shomar means the negative Mitzvah Shabbos, L'Losasa Komalacha, staying away from doing, the, from doing the wrong things on Shabbos. Women clearly have Shomer, right? That's losase. Women have all losase. So, koshi yeshu b'shmir, yeshu We make a connection. Any person who has the mitzvah of shmirah of Shabbos also has the mitzvah of remembering the Shabbos because Zachar and Shomer were said together. So, since women definitely have Shomer, because that's losase, so they also have the mitzvah of schira because that is... Uh, because they were said together. So it's a novelty. It's an anomaly to the rule. Usually we say in Mitzvah Shazar and Gama, women are potter, with the exception of Kiddush, because since Zachar and Shamar are said together, and since women have Shamar, they also have Zachar. Another thing that the Gemara doesn't say, but uh, there are other things that come from Zachar besides for Kiddush. For example, Suda of Shabbos, a woman is obligated to have Suda of Shabbos, a woman is obligated to have Lecha Mishnah. Even though all of these things are Technically, a mitzvah's essay shahazman grama because they're all included in zakhar. But again, anything that comes together associated with zakhar, so shabbos, women will be obligated in because of this principle that we link the shamar together with the zakhar. Um, okay, good. So now, you know, uh, to the extent, I'll just give you, bring out a point. I don't have to worry about it so much practically, but just to bring out the point. Kiddush Daraisa, you fulfill just by saying, mentioning that it's Shabbos, by saying, you know, by Yechulu, you'll, you'll be Yotze Kiddush, Kiddush Daraisa. I mean, they said you should say over a cup of wine with a bracha, fine. So, but every time a man goes to Shul and says, Davin's Meyer, he's already been Yotze Kiddush by Torah law, and he makes Kiddush at home, he's only filling what the Rabbanon want him to do. The Dogum Rivava asked, he said to Rekhi that it doesn't make sense how men make Kiddush, because their wives 
probably didn't go to shul and daven Maariv. So they're still chayiv in Kiddush on a Daraisa level, as the Gemara points out here. They have to make Kiddush. A man comes home, he's already been Yotzim in Daraisa. So when he already did it, he's not really no longer obligated. So how does it work? So the extent to bring out that women are mamish mechuyiv gomer 100% in Kiddush, that they have to do it, just usually they end up being Yotzim through men, but it's a thousand percent that they are chayiv on the same level from Amash from the Torah. Fine. Now the Gemara continues back to benching. We said women have to bench. Is that Darais or Darabonah? Now, clearly Darais, right? Why would it be only Darabonah? So Rashi explains because there are certain words in benching that don't make sense for women. Which words don't make sense? So Abris Hashachasamta B'Sarinu is a little bit questionable. They don't have bris, but the bigger one, Rashi seems to say, al arshin chaltal Women don't, didn't get a portion of land. Even the daughters of Slafa didn't inherit on their own right. They just took their father's right. So women don't have al arshin chaltal So the text isn't made for them. So the bar is saying an interesting possibility. Since the text isn't appropriate for women necessarily, particularly, perhaps that's the reason why they're completely exempt from Birkas Amazon and Midar And only Midar do they have to bench. Who cares? They have to bench. Who cares whether they have to do it? Says Whether or not a woman could be motzi a man if both a man and a woman ate. A man's chayiv midaraisa to bench. A woman's chayiv derabana. If you say the woman is chayiv from the Torah to bench, a woman could be motzi a man. If a woman is only chayiv So in relative to the man's chayiv, which is daraisa, the woman is not obligated. What's the big rule? You have to be obligated to the same extent as the person that you're being motzi. So if a man is chayiv midaraisa, a woman's only chayiv midarabanon, then a woman wouldn't be able to be motzi a man. So what's the law? My is a woman chayiv and benching daraisa, or do we say since the text doesn't make so much sense for her particularly, she's only mechuyiv midarabanon? So Tashima, the Emmet's army, when truth they said, Ben Mavarak Lavit, a child can bench for his father. The Evan Mavarak Larabo, a slave can bench for his master. The Isha Mivarechas Labala, and a woman can be Moti her husband. Aval Amr Chachaman, but the rabbi said, Tavoma Arala Adam, a curse should befall a person, Sheishu Ubana Mavarak and Lo, that his children and wife are Moti him. In other words, the idea seems to be that why would a person's wife or child be motim? Because he doesn't know how to say it himself. Why else? I mean, he's the leader of the house. Why wouldn't he say it himself? Usually, I guess it must be he doesn't know it. So cursed is the person who has to rely on his children or wife to be motim and he can't even say the words himself. Oh, but technically by the letter of the law, the Brisa says a woman and child could be motim a man. So if you say that a woman is chayv midaraisa, now it makes sense. That's what we said. Daraisa can be motzi a daraisa. If a woman's only chayv midarabanan, asi dirabanan umapik daraisa. How is the woman being motzi a man? So mamish, we got our proof. Our proof. Our question is: Could a woman be motzi a man? And it said in a brace, a woman can be motzi a man, black and white. So our question should be resolved. It comes back to Gemara, according to what you're trying to prove, it also says someone else could be moti. It said the, the child. A child could be moti a father. Katan Is a katan obligated midaraisa? A katan surely is not chayiv daraisa. A katan is clearly only a chayiv of chinuch, which is darabonon. And it still said that the katan could be moti the father. So how does that make sense? You're busy trying to prove a woman must be chayiv midaraisa. She could be moti her husband. But what are you going to say about the line of the bride that the child is being moti the father? And here with what are we dealing? It has to be that the father ate an amount of food that didn't warrant a benching from the Torah. By Torah law, it says, to be fully satiated. We bench even when we only eat one kezayis. So the case is like this. The father ate a kezayis. So he only had to bench That's how the kid who's chayav because of chinuch could be motzi the father. 
Ah, that's the scenario. So let that be the scenario for the woman as well. The woman is being moti her husband who only ate a kazais, but in a chanami. Had the father, had the husband eaten a full amount that he's fully satiated and mechuyi midar then maybe, maybe the woman can't be moti him. The same way there, clearly the child can't be moti him. So therefore, by the way, it's an amazing thing. Like that's the takeaway of the Gemara. If a child could be moti a parent, as long as the parent only ate a kazais, he's not fully full. A woman could surely be moti her husband if her husband only ate a uh, kazais. Now, the hard question is, and this is where the post came of Machlokas, what if the child also only ate a kazais? Mm-hmm. Or the woman also only ate a kazais? Meaning, is there a concept of a double drabana not being as strong as one drabana? Meaning, if the woman is satiated or the child is satiated, so she's chayv midrabana 100%. She could be moti a hus- her husband or father who only ate a kazais. But if the child and, or, or woman only ate a kazayas, so they have two reasons why it's the Rabbanon. First of all, they only ate a kazayas. Second of all, because they're a woman or a child. So could someone who is chayev on a double Rabbanon be moti someone who has a single Rabbanon? That's very similar to the issue that we learned. Could a child read the Megillah for a gadol on Purim? Could a double Rabbanon be moti a single Rabbanon? That was a dispute between Rabbi Yudah and the Rabbanon on Daf Tesvav. That's what the proposed can seem to point out. Says the Gemara Darch, Rabbi Yudah, the angels in heaven said to God, It says in your Torah, It says in the, in the Torah that Hashem is a God that shows no favor. He doesn't take bribes, He shows no favoritism. Hashem actually says that He shows favoritism to the Jews. That's in Berkaz Konem. Hashem should show us favor. So here Hashem describes Himself as not taking favor, and then He shows us favoritism. So how, what's going on? God responds to the angel. Could I possibly not show them favoritism? I wrote to them in the Torah that one only is obligated to bench when they feel full. But they, even if they just eat a kazais or, an, or a beitza, they're benching. Meaning, Hashem is saying, look at these Jews. I only make them bench when they're full, and they bench even when they eat a kazayas or a beitza. How can I not show them favoritism? Very, very difficult gemara. What's the, you know, what's the connection? I guess the simple shot is that a person, you know, most people only feel like Hashem is doing good things for them when they're full of bracha, when they're satiated. But when you're not satiated, when you only have a little bit, you still feel like you want more from Hashem. Most people have a harder time making a bracha. They have a hard time. If we show Hashem that we favor Him, meaning even though we don't feel like He's doing enough for, him, for us, we still bless Him, then He blesses us even when He feels that we're not doing enough for Him. So that's why it's such a powerful concept to bench even when you do not feel full. Says the Mishnah. So in order to understand this next mission, we need to understand what a Balkari is. Balkari is an, any man who had a seminal, uh, a seminal mission, so once the halacha comes, midaraisah, he is tummy. The extent of the tumma is very limited. A balkari is not supposed to eat truma, not supposed to eat mice. There are certain limitations that a balkari has. We actually started Misachas Brachas learning about, about, about such a thing, like the Kohen who was going to the mikvah. So, but midaraisah, the Kohen can do whatever he wants. Or a regular person, he can do whatever he wants. He can learn Torah. He could, uh, he could say brachos. But came along somebody named Ezra, we're going to learn about. And Ezra made a big takana. That someone who saw Kerry until they go to the mikvah is not allowed to learn Torah and is not allowed to daven. Now we'll talk about whether this still applies today. It doesn't apply today. We'll talk about all this in the, in, in the Gemaras. But in the Mishnah, I was talking about when the tefillah of Ezra and the Takana was there, that a person is not supposed to study Torah or daven until they have gone to the mikvah. So, since that's only Durabanan, it's obviously going to be a big struggle because how far are the rabbis going to go? They're going to tell you not to fulfill mitzvahs that you need to do? Yes, no, it's going to get complicated. So the Mishnah jumps jumping in. A Balkari should not say Shema, but he should think the Shema. 
He should think the words of the Shema. But he does no reason to even think the brachas before Shema or after Shema. So the Durabanan things, like the brachas before and after Shema, the Durabanan just uprooted. They say if you're Balkari, you don't even bother thinking it. But the Shema, which is Doraisa, the rabbi said, yes, don't say it, but you should think it. The same thing. He should think because that's Doraisa. He should think about benching. But you shouldn't think about Hamotzi. Just let, let Hamotzi go. No, even Hamotzi, he should think about. So, Omar Ravina. Zoso Meres, Ravina jumps into a huge question. If God says you have to be co something, you have to read something, you have to read Shema, you have to say Birkas Hamazon, let's say I think the words without saying them. Now, we learned on Tesvav, on Shabbos, a whole slogan about someone who says something but can't hear it. Your Yotzi. This Gemara is taking it a step further. I know you're Yotze if you didn't hear what you said. But what about if you didn't even mouth the words? You didn't even say the words. You just thought the words. Is thinking like saying? So Ravina says, I'll prove to you from the Mishnah that thinking is saying. Why? If thinking is not like saying, then what's the point of the Baal thinking about Shema or benching? He's not being Yotze. It's worthless. Must be, says Ravina, it's not worthless. And the guy is Yotze Shema through thinking about the words. So the same way you don't have to hear the words as we pass and Nandav Tezvav, you also don't even have to move your lips and say them. As long as you just think them, says Ravina, you're Yotze the Shema. And that's the Pshat. So a Balkari, he's restricted from saying the words of Torah and Ur Shema and Davening, but he should still think the words of Shema and benching to be Yotze. That's the way Ravina understands. So Frek the Gemara, okay? That's Ravina's point. So Ravina, the Gemara asks, Elamai here at Kedibur Dami. So what do you, what's your takeaway? That thinking is like saying. So then Yotzi Bisfasov, let him just say it. Now, what's the Gemara's point? I, Ezra, was misakein that, um, that, that you're not allowed to say words of Torah. But the point of the Gemara is if Ezra was misakein, you're not allowed to say words of Torah, you shouldn't be allowed to think words of Torah either. If that's what you're saying, you're saying thinking is like saying. So if Hashem said, say Shema, then Yotzi would thinking Shema. So why are you letting the Balkari think Shema? I guess because it's a mitzvah daraisa, so the rabbis didn't impose their, their, their din of tefillahs Ezra to make sure that the guy's not Yotzei Shema. So then let him just say the words of Shema. He's obviously being Yotzei Shema, Ravina saying, because here it must be Kadibur, or else it's worthless to think it. So he's thinking it and being Yotzei. So then just say it. If you're not allowed to say words of Shema and you're saying, here Kadibur, so then you're really going against tefillahs Ezra, the institution of tefillahs Ezra, by thinking it also. Elamai, the rabbis are letting you do it because they want you to be Yotzei the mitzvah. So then just say it. What's this idea? Think it, and thinking is like saying it. Just say it. So the Gemara says, It's like we found that Sinai. What does it mean we found that Sinai? So the precedent for Ezra to be Mesach and Tefillah's Ezra was that Hashem said that men and women were not men and women weren't allowed to have relations three days before Matan Torah. Why three days before Matan Torah? Because any seminal omission would make a man unable to learn Torah. So why three days? Because a woman also, we learn in Mesechah's Nidah, Poleta Shechva Zera, that for up to three days after the relations, if the seed comes out of her body, it's as if she sees Keri, she has that same din, and she also then has that Tumah. So for up to three days, Rabbi said, no, the Torah says no relations. Why? So you should be ready to learn Torah at Matan Torah. So now that was only a one-time special thing at Har Sinai. Ezra came along and was Mesachim. That's now the regular rule. That any time there's a seminal mission, then you have this idea that you can't learn Torah. So since the precedent is from Har Sinai, how did we learn Torah at Har Sinai? Now, this is very lumdish. How did we learn Torah? So you're going to say you didn't, we, we, were, we were silent, right? We just stood and listened to God. But Zok Taisus, that's not true. Shomea Ka'onet. When you're silent, it's like you're talking. It, the Torah that we were learning at Sinai was considered Torah out loud. 
It was articulated Torah. We were a part of loud Torah, Torah that was being spoken. So the precedent for the Isra of a Valkyrie to learn Torah is only Torah that's said out loud. So even if here is Kedibor Dami, but the rabbis don't restrict a person from thinking the words. They only restrict saying the words. So now everything makes sense. Really here is Kedibor, and that's how the Valkyrie is being Yotzei Shema. Ah, if here is Kedibor, so then a Valkyrie should be restricted from thinking it. So what's the Pshaksis being Yotzei the Mitzvah, so let him just say it? No. We only find that the rabbis restrict against saying words of Torah. But thinking words of Torah, even if Hera is Kedibor, we don't find the precedent that you're not supposed to do that. But there's a big problem with the Gemara. So then why doesn't he think the brachas of Krishna and, the, and, and, and Amotzi? He only thinks the Shema and the brachas of Muslim because that's Torah. So why doesn't he think the brachas of Krishna? I guess because Valkyrie is not supposed to think the words of Torah. But here we're saying that's not true. We're saying that really here is Kedibur Dami, and the reason about Kari is still allowed to think it is because the precedent was Sinai, and we only restrict him from saying it out loud, not from thinking it. So let him, let him think, Berkhaz Kriyishma. So it's a very difficult place where the Gemara ends up. It's a very strong, strong, strong kasha. As you say, Kriyishma has parts of learning Torah in it. There's some similarities. I think he's restricted from, 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 from oh, you mean so Brachos is, is less? Is that what you mean? Yeah. I think we're going to see, though, it's really Chazal legislated for everything. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, so that's one perspective that Ravina gives. Comes along Rav Chista with a completely different perspective. Rav Chista, I'm here a lot of Really thinking it is not saying it. If he was saying it, if it's like he's saying it and the rabbis let that, then he may as well just say it literally. So really, the guy's not being Yotzei Shema. He's not being Yotzei Shema. Here is Lav Kedibur. So wait, so I don't understand. So why are you wasting your time thinking it? You're not being Yotzei anyway. If you're not being Yotzei anyway, why even bother thinking it? Because it's inappropriate that everyone else is saying Shema and he's just spacing out. So the rabbi said, think the words of Shema. Ah, you're not being Yotzei Shema. And you're not being Yotzei. But you're doing something to connect to the Tzibur. So the words of Shema, I mean, I don't get it. Why can't you just learn something else? Learn something on the side. You should be doing what the tzibor is doing. If the tzibor is saying Shema, you should be thinking about Shema. Are you being Yotze Shema? No. And I, how would the rabbis have the power to tell me not to be Yotze Shema? Because they have that power. The rabbi said, B'Shev Al-Tai said, don't do the mitzvah of Shema. We impose that a Valkyrie shouldn't learn. So don't be Yotze the mitzvah of Shema. Here are Lav Kedibur. Completely different perspective. Okay, so the Gemara, fine. You know what? So let's stop here for today. But where we are so far is that we have two perspectives, Ravina and Rav Chista. Ravina's perspective is here at Kedibur Dami. So we, the guy who's about carry is being Yotzei the Mitzvah Shema by thinking it. And Berkos Moz by thinking it. I have here at Kedibur Dami. Why is he allowed to think? It's like he's learning Torah. The answer is no. The precedent only asks us to say the words of Torah out loud. The second perspective of Chista here is Lav Kedibur Dami. The guy's not being Yotze Shema Berkas Amazon, but we still want him to think it because when the Tzibur is doing something, even if you can't be Yotze the Mitzvah, you should participate in whatever level you're able to do. That's the two different perspectives so far.